Welcome to the Love Life Church podcast, and thank you for checking us out. We love God, love people, and love life, and we hope this message encourages you and inspires you. Here's today's message. You guys ready for the Word of God? Me too. I want you to turn your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. Now, before we get into the word, let's make this confession together. I believe that your place of transformation starts through your choice. And when you make the right choice, right things happen. When you make bad choices, bad things happen. Isn't that correct? That's why God said, I I, I love this statement in the Old Testament where he said, choose you this day. Um, That's probably... One of the greatest statements of empowerment in the whole scripture, you choose this day. Choose this day whom you're going to serve. Is it going to be life or is it going to be death? Is it going to be blessing or is it going to be cursing? He said, you make the choice. Now, in today's Christianese, uh, the tendency is, is we have this wrong foundation of information concerning God and our lives. So what we do is we say, God, you do this. God, you make this. God, you. And we put it on him as if it's, it, it's going to be his fault. So if, it, if everything just sucks, it's because God willed it to suck. So in other words, it's not about my choice. It's not about what I'm doing, it's about what God's doing in heaven up there and really screwing with my life. And if he would just quit it, things would be a whole lot better. And that's what happens when we operate with a lack of understanding of the word of God. We have a lot of understanding of our opinions or how we feel. But when it comes to the Bible, the tendency is, is we don't really know a whole lot as far as the truth. We have, a, we have information, but also understand with information, there's a requirement. And when it comes to God's word, the requirement, requirement is, is that information has to be placed in the context of the whole word of God, not just the, a portion you want it to say, but the whole context of what God's saying. And when you relate in that way, you you rarely get in a position where you're misinterpreting what God's trying to say. It's it's like someone talks about healing, you know, and most everybody can say God can heal, but they don't believe God will heal or has healed. We believe he can because he's God. How? Of course he can. But on the other other hand, we look at it and say, well, you know, it, it it doesn't happen, or it can't happen, or don't ha- it won't happen, or, or could happen. So we don't have this concept of truth. So what we need is, is not a man's opinion, a woman's opinion, uh, a feeling, or this is what happened to me, so this is truth. What we need is, what does God's word say? And so when you get in the context of the picture of Jesus, who made it very clear that he only does what the Father says him to do. He only acts the way the Father tells him to act. Everything you see Jesus do, it's because that's how God is. Oh, I like that. Everything you see Jesus do, it's because that's how God is. 
So when you see Jesus going about doing good and healing all, that's the answer because it happens over and over and over and over and over. So what is the will of God? He wants to heal. It's very simple. It's again, we make a difficulty out of it because I didn't experience it. It didn't happen to me. So therefore, it's not true. And that's, that's the way most Christians operate their life. Now, we understand in the natural, if we pull this down to simplicity and make it very clear in how we live our lives, a first grader doesn't learn the whole subject of first grade on the first day or the first week or the first month or in my place, the first year. I was a mama's boy. Nothing I can do about it. I had a hard time with first grade. But anyway, I digress. But the point is, is it, it takes time. It takes time to learn the journey. And so you're not required to know everything. And you're not going to. I've been studying this for over 35 years. And I'm not talking about I look at it once in a while. I put intense, probably millions of hours over 35 years, I still don't know that much. And that's because this is a living word. It's not a, it's not a notebook or an or a, or a algebra book. It's a living word. And it has information for life. And I'm going to tell you right now, I can read the same scripture and get so many different truths and information, not things that violate the, the truth of the word, but that are necessary for the issues that I'm dealing with at the time I'm dealing with. And it's awesome. And that's why it's so powerful and so impacting if we can get to the truth of it and not look at it as a religious book. It's a life book. Everybody say life book. Okay, so make this confession. I am a believer. Therefore, I believe that God's word will work in my life my eyes are open, my ears here, my heart is prepared as good ground to receive this word into my life today. It will change my life and I will never be the same again in Jesus' name. All right, let's do this. Hebrews chapter 10, verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 35. So do not throw away your confidence. So don't throw away your confidence. What is that saying? Make it very simple. It's telling us not to do something means that we can do that, right? You can throw away, toss away, cast away. The Greek language literally is, is taking off a, pair, a piece of clothes and, and tossing it. So what this is saying is, is you can literally toss, let go, of your confidence. Now, confidence, and what we're talking about, confidence comes from truth, an understanding of truth. That builds confidence. Having answers, that builds confidence. You are lacking confidence when you are lacking knowledge. And you all know that. You can go into that new job or whatever, and there's that 
timidity, that fear, that anxiety. And it's just because you're lacking confidence in what? You're, you're, you're lacking knowledge in what you're about to embark on. Even though you have information, this is all new. A new atmosphere, new people, new job, new boss, new everything. So what happens, that knowledge gets cluttered with emotion. And listen, follower of Jesus, that's going to happen all the time. Emotions are always trying to affect your belief. Always. And we listen a lot to our emotions. But we also forget our emotions are only tied to what we think. And an emotion isn't popping out of nowhere. Oh, my God. Oh, sorry. It just came on me. You know, isn't that silly? But would, you need to understand something. Christians, people, literally live their lives as if that is a truth, that it really works that way. And it's not. It's because of what you think and how you're thinking is what's going to produce those emotions. Everybody understand that? You all got that, right? So if you want to fix an emotion, fix your thought. Let me say it again. Fix an emotion, fix your thought. I didn't say it's easy. It's not easy. Sometimes it's very difficult. I mean, think about it. Jesus said, let's love one another. Uh, yeah, you, we can choke on that one because that is a, one of the most difficult statements in the whole Bible. Love everybody. I like when the scripture says, love not the world or things of the world. Boom, love that one. Jesus said, don't love them. But then, on the other hand, God says, for God so loved the world. Well, we know he's talking about two different things there. One is don't love the world system or how the system is in operation or the things in that system. That's what it's saying. In God's position, it's people. So what ultimately comes down to is I'm not to love the system you're operating in. Hello? I'm to love you. Now, that's, that's difficult because there's a whole lot of people operating systems that are unlovely. But our response should be always love. What does love literally mean? It means that it, it, it's not our conformance to your will or wants. It's our position to know that there's something bigger and better for your life, that there's hope, that there's security, that there's healing, that there's wholeness, that there's deliverance. So when I look at someone in love, I notice that I look at this way that things can change. Why? Because I went through the same process. And so we have to look at things correctly according to Scripture. So it says, don't throw out, don't cast off, don't let go of your confidence. Because if you don't, you will be richly rewarded. Confidence brings reward. Confidence brings, everybody loves reward, amen? Even, even if you're not thinking about a financial reward, you like a reward of, hey, you did a good job. Everybody likes a little pat on the back, right? Everybody likes that, that place where people are acknowledging them. And there's nothing wrong with that. We need to reward one another with some good words a lot more than we do, amen? Hello? Come on, you're all quiet. I'm going to, out there, they're screaming. I can hear them. So let's go, love life. Let's get all, let's get empowered and get excited about this message. 
You entered in for a purpose. You now have to operate in that purpose. So it isn't up to me to entertain you. It's up to you to receive, amen? So receiving, listen, y'all know this. You get in a subject that you like to hear about, all of a sudden you're not only talking about it, but you're throwing up pictures. It's true. Isn't that true? You get, you're just getting into it. And, and as a matter of fact, when you talk, you, you relive whatever it is you're trying to sell me or show me. Why? Because you are very interested in the subject. But once you go into a different subject that you're not that all interested in, what happens? What are we going to eat today? Can I have breakfast? And that's during my message. So we want to stay focused, amen, because this will change your life, and you made that confession. Verse 36, you need to persevere. That means you need to fight through. You need to continue on so that when you have done the will of God or you're operating in his way of doing things, you will receive what he has promised. God's will is for you to receive the promises, it's so special to know that because even the scripture says God is a rewarder to them that diligently seek him. And what that is saying is this, is our responsibility is to get the promises working in our lives. Why? So that we can just have, so that we can just be complete in, in things? No, it is the purpose of why we're still here. It's to show others the goodness and love of God to us. And when they see it in and through us, then it's tangible. It's something that they can look at and go, okay, that looks good. That looks good. I know that my own personal life, when I received Jesus, it was like uh, I went AWOL from everything the world wanted for me and my friends. And the moment I received Jesus and started letting people know how wonderful this was, and I'm talking about just a couple days after receiving Jesus, and I'm talking to my, all my close, wonderful friends that, you know, you think they've got you back and they'll always be there for you. The moment I started talking about Jesus, they all ran. They all just turned away from me. It was as if I had the plague Serious. And I'm thinking, how in the world can people run from what I'm feeling, what I'm experiencing? I haven't had any change at all except the new birth. I, I, my language didn't change. I haven't learned Christianese yet, so I didn't know how to go praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Which don't do that, but anyway. I mean, you can do that when you're praising God or whatever, but don't go to Safeway and go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. It's a sale today, praise the Lord. Please, please don't be that. Now, there's nothing wrong with being thankful. There's nothing wrong with praising God. I'm not talking about that. You know the difference. I'm talking about Christianese and being real with yourself. Because I've been in Safeway and went, oh, man, that's awesome. Thank you, Jesus. But I wasn't trying to promote myself as I'm so spiritual. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. Glory to God. It's crazy. It's crazy what people do. But what we have to look at is, is when we're looking at these scriptures and we're saying, okay, these promises are for me, but there's, there's this connection to these promises. 
And the connection is, is I need to not let go of something. Confidence. So if it's available to let go, then what is it that would make me let it go? Here we see that promises don't mean possession. Promises don't mean possession. So we can't let go of confidence or the knowledge we have that builds that confidence. The knowledge we have that builds that. The Bible, especially in Ephesians, it talks about knowing Jesus. And when you're operating in the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of his work for us, it produces a supernatural empowerment, this strength that's available to every believer. It's a beautiful, beautiful, if you look at uh, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians, it's filled with this, this prayer, this confession over the followers of Jesus in what has happened to their lives and what's available. But again, it's tied to the knowledge of the truth, the information. So it's saying, don't let go of this confidence or don't let go of this information that has built your confidence. Now, in this word here, so don't throw off your confidence, which will be richly rewarded, so that you need to persevere. He's talking to the believers of Hebrews, and he's just finished telling them how awesome they have been since they received Jesus. He said, since you've learned the truth, you've had the ability, this is so awesome, you've had the ability to overcome attacks, to be able to stand and be able to be standing strong against even deaths in your little church circle, people thrown in prison because of them believing in Jesus, persecution, all these things he's saying, because of what you've learned in Christ, you've been standing strong. But what's happened now is that walk is sort of getting old. In other words, we've been standing strong, but there's still attack. There's still this happening. There's still that happening. And so they start going backwards. And this is Hebrews, which means it's relating to Jews. And what are the issues involving the Jews? Religion. And so they started doing what? Starting going back to, let's make this thing easier by becoming more what we used to be, which is never a true statement. It's a deceptive statement, and I'll show you this. But the point is, is this what's happening in their lives? They're starting to cast away or let go of that passion and beginning when they first learned about Jesus and dying for them and the grace of God and the righteousness and justification. All these things that said, the father says, you are mine and I am yours. I'm never going to leave you nor forsake you. And they're like going, we can handle anything. That confidence was, is you want to slap me? I'm going to stand for Jesus. You want to throw me in jail? I'm going to stand for Jesus. You want to kill? I'm going to stand for Jesus. And that was an empowerment position, a confident position. But again, they started slowly slipping away. And he says, don't cast it off. Don't let it go. You've got to persevere to the end. This isn't a sprint, people. This is life. This is life. Understand that. Why is this so important? Because the statement that this is life is a statement that it has complete relevance on Monday morning. 
I'm going to tell you right now, religion doesn't. A churchy mindset doesn't. It has nothing to do with Monday morning, nothing. But when it has to do with life, it has everything to do with your 45-minute commute. It has everything to do with that nasty person in the other cubicle. It has everything to do with the argument you had with your spouse. It has everything to do with your job, your future, your life, your children, everything. It has everything to do with your house, your car. It is life. It's life. And this is so important, especially for parents or if, if you're single and one day you want to become a parent, you want to get married and become a parent, it's so important for you to understand that because you're training children in life. It's not you come to church and get it. It's life is life. And that consistent teaching in your kid's life, which you are doing, if you want to agree with it or not, if you want to believe it or not, it don't matter. You're teaching them every single day. Every single day. And I know we all will go, oh my gosh. But that's just the way life is. And so we have to understand our responsibility. Doesn't mean we're perfect, nor are we going to be perfect. Doesn't mean we're not going to screw up, because we're going to. But what is that? It's life. It's responsibility to not only us receive that understanding, but our kids receive that understanding. It's not everything's going to be perfect. Not everything's going to work out. Sometimes people are going to love you. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. You want me to keep going on that, didn't you? No, not going to. I'm learning to temper my wackoness. So the secret of their victory was faith and patience. Faith and patience. Paul says in Ephesians 6.13, when you've done all the stand, stand. Now remember chapter uh, 6 in Ephesians, what this statement comes from is a position of we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. In other words, there are spiritual enemies out there. And he says, to be able to stand or be in a position of strength against these different spiritual enemies, including the world, we have to stand. And when we've done all to stand, that's the first statement before it gets into put on. And this is the problem is people want to put on something without standing. You can't put on a helmet of salvation in, in, and be fearful. It won't work. It's like putting on the helmet backwards. You're just going to run into things because you're sitting there like going, I got it on, I got it on, bam. It ain't going to work. Why? Because you have to have the position of courage. And that word histemi for stand literally means is you're standing with a purpose. It's not like this. It's not like this. It's standing with a purpose, you have a specific thing that you are involved in for the purpose of the stance. Now, what does that mean? It means that there is an attitude behind why you're standing. And Paul is writing about a Roman soldier in his stance. So we all can stand, right? But then there's the stance with purpose. It'd be like, I need you, I tell you, Nusher, 
I need you to stand before that door and make sure no one comes in. And so what are they going to do? No. They're going to go in front of the door and they're going to stand. And when someone comes, there's a purpose. Halt. Who goes there? So the, the thing is, is that Paul's saying, listen, before you put on, you have to stand. And when you've done all to stand, stand. Be courageous. Because you're going to put on armor. You're going to put on a suit of warfare. How? Because you're already confident. It's like, let me have it. Let me put this on. That's a boldness. That's a confidence, which the Bible says is going to bring great reward. There's going to be promises that will come into your life because you made an attitude to stand. I'm going to stand. Listen, the plague, the, 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 the China virus running around this place, the different, different sicknesses and diseases that are running rampant. We forget about heart disease. It's still killing people. Sorry to say, it's still killing people. It didn't, it didn't go into 2020 and go, you know what? Forget the 80,000 deaths this year. We do, we've done it every year. It's getting old. No, it's still happening. The flu. I, what, what happened to the flu? All of a sudden, the flu went. Break time. Not going to work today. No flus any longer. But there has not been one statistic on flus, the, like the flu season went, nah, going to Cancun. Nah, we're chilling now. But see, that's the problem. We just allow the stuff to flow. And then all of a sudden, we now need to stand in that type of confusion. No statistic has stopped. You know what the... Suicide rate from 18 to 24 is now? Anybody, tell me right now. 24%. Not corona, not heart, not, not, not cancer. 24% are killing themselves, 1824. See, we, we major on stuff but we don't look at what we need to be looking at, and that is, in this life, there is death, and a whole lot of it. You know what else is a freaky number? The second leading cause of death. This broke my heart, and this one bothered me. Because, see, I told this statistic in the 80s when I was doing youth pastoring. And it did not belong to this age at all. But the second leading cause of death from 10 years old, 24, is suicide. What the heck? A 10-year-old is killing themselves? 11-year-old? A a please! What has come into us? That would take a 10-year-old that's watching cartoons. Want to kill themselves. That freaks me out. But it also tells me something. Where's the power of the church? 
Where's the power and influence of the church? You know where it is? Cowering and hiding most of the time. Spending their church in ease on Sunday, but acting the world on Monday. See, that's why the 10-year-old on your neighborhood is, is killing themselves. Listen, I'm not putting blame on you. I'm saying we have a responsibility to be shedding light and getting people salty. We have a responsibility to bring hope. We have, a spons- we have the responsibility to do something. I can't handle this. 10-year-old, 11-year-old, think about the kids you know that are 10 and 11. Mine just passed that age. I just, I can't, it's just terrible. Second leading cause of death. Mm. Mm. Hebrews 6, 12. We do not want you to become lazy or dull in hearing, but imitate those through faith and patience. Inherit what has been promised. Confidence and perseverance. Confidence and continuing this walkout is going to produce for you people, but is the purpose of producing just to put something else in your refrigerator, to put something else in your garage, to put something else in your backyard, put something else on your plate? What is the purpose of this? Is it to build our own little kingdoms or start recognizing the responsibility that we have to help build others, to help influence others? Listen, I get we want to have our families and we want to have fun with our families. We want to do things with our families. I get that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's priority one in your life, you've already lost the battle. Priority one should be our responsibility to life. And it's just not about us. So we've got to look outward too. And then when you're looking outward, all that stuff doesn't matter. God doesn't have a problem with you having, but do they have you? And only you and people close to you, they know the fruit of your life. Like I said, the stuff isn't the issue. The heart's the issue. God doesn't care where you live or how many vehicles you have. He doesn't. He doesn't care if you shop at Nordstrom's or Walmart. He doesn't care. What he cares about is this, your heart. And if the heart's cool, if the heart's right, if the heart's connected, none of that stuff, it's no big deal. Understand that. I need you to get that clear. And don't get in this position where you're thinking, oh, you're just going to give up even my family and just make sure everybody else is having a good life. That's your definition of something I didn't say. You got that? So don't, don't try to twist my words, because I know people are good at doing that kind of stuff. The key is, is having a heart that goes beyond us. That's all. I guarantee you, when you have that, vacations become better. I'm telling you right now, everything becomes better. That new boat becomes better. Guarantee it. Why? Because your, your attitude is, is, it's just not about you. It's going to be in fact, impacting or touching other people's lives. All right? You guys got that? All right. So by faith and patience, we inherit the promises. I looked this up. This was interesting, but 
When you lose confidence, okay, understand this, confidence is tied to how you see yourself completely. When you lose confidence, you become timid and weak, right? So that confidence is tied to your soul. So we can call it self-confidence. That self-confidence is a surety in yourself, in what you know or what you understand, right? Isn't that true? Self-confidence is lacking when you are lacking on what? Knowledge, information. So you're a little insecure, right? Isn't that, isn't that true? So self-confidence starts becoming built in you. This confidence gets built. But look at this. This is, this is the dangers of what happens when you lose confidence. It creates anxiety, stress, loneliness, increased likelihood of depression, builds hopelessness, causes problems with friendships and relationships, seriously impairs academic and job performance, and it leads to increased vulnerability to drug and alcohol abuse. Science. So we want to think that, well, what's the big deal about confidence? It's everything. You being confident. I didn't say prideful or arrogant. I said being confident. Being a confident dad. Being a confident mom. Being a confident husband. Being a confident wife. Being a confident employee. Being a confident employer. That confidence carries beyond you. Because why? It's tied to knowledge. So that confidence you show, all of a sudden people are going, why, how do you act that way? Why are you so secure? Things are going all over. It's a, it, it's a pandemic, man. Aren't you scared? And you're going, no, I got this. I ain't letting go of my confidence. And when you start walking this way and living this life, which establishes the picture of confidence, it's not your words. It's when something happens, how you act or react. And you watch this a lot. When people, especially Christians, you go to Christian for you go to church for a long time and everything's good, and then all of a sudden you get bumped, and what comes out of you ain't Christian. Well, we know what's been happening for years. You playing a game. It's a game. It's religion. It's not life. If you're doing this life Monday through Sunday, if you live in this life like this, you get bumped, the right things are gonna come out, not cuss words. Not hateful words, not blame words. Right things will come out. I'm, and I'm not saying that happens every time because there have been times when I've been bumped and, and I was, you know, holding back everything I could not to run that person over. Had to, had to, God forgive me, that was a bad attitude, but it didn't happen right away. I had to stew a little bit. I had to get in a little bit of that idiot driver that, go back to Kansas, loser. It's usually an out-of-state plate that really affects me. But I got to get over it. I got to reckon, okay, you can't do this. Thank God I'm by myself. Thank God I'm not accountable because it's just me. So I ain't rolling down my window and flipping people off. I'm not doing it. Not, I'm, I'm, it's me. I'm, ah, ah. But I, gotta, I chill. I finally get to a place where I go, all right, that's enough. Stop it. With my wife in the car, it, 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 I get over it really quick. I hold on for a little bit. You gotta be right. But then you gotta let it go, let it go, let it go. So there are dangers when you lose confidence. You know, 
Let me tell you a story about a name, a man named Danny. When I was in sixth grade, I went to elementary school, the same elementary school, had the same best friends. Um, had a great time in sixth grade. Uh, won all kinds of little awards that elementary schools would have little Olympics, and I won the triple jump and the high jump, and I had all these little awards and ribbons. So in sixth grade, I was all that. So we're expecting that to continue on into seventh grade until we got a letter. Boundaries changed. Now I was going to go to a school where none of my friends were going to go to. They went to Desert Sands. I went to Frank Borman. Didn't know anybody now. Here I am, superstar sixth grader, going into junior high, not knowing anyone. Remember that first day, going in there, and they, the classes were really big, bigger than my elementary school. Kids were from all over the place and different attitudes and different, you know, it was just, it was one of the most scariest times of my life. And I remember they go alphabetically and they're calling names out and you have to sit down, going through this whole process the first day. And all of a sudden they go, Doug Mack, this man child comes walking down the the guy had a beard. Probably was married too, I don't know, but I'm telling you, this guy looked like 28 years old. And he sits down, and I'm going, please don't, please don't come in, please don't come in. And I'm not following Jesus, so I don't even connect with that, and now I'm praying. I think I was even praying in tongues. But I was going, please don't, please don't. Danny McCluskey? And I went, oh my gosh, I, I almost wet myself. And I sat down next to Doug Mack. And Doug Mack, his normal clothes were an army jacket with cut-off sleeves. He didn't have a tattoo, but I swear I've seen all kinds of tattoos. And I sat down, and he also smelled like cigarettes. The dude would go across the street and smoke. I'm in seventh grade. This is probably his eighth time in seventh grade. I'm scared to death because I'm sitting with this guy. I mean, the guy's scary, smells, and he's got hair on his face. And, and I'm, I think I just went through, but they got So I'm sitting there. I'm probably only like about five, eight or so. I'm not, you know, I'm skinny. And I was so scared, and, and just my whole life passed before me. And I really, I, I went home just in terror and told my mom, I can't go. I can't go there. I need to put me in a private school. Take me out of this. I, I can't go there again. I was so freaked out because this guy, he, he wasn't, he was a mean guy. The second day, my mom's car was not working. So I live one mile from, well, actually it was two miles from where I live. So I had to walk home. This walk home was going to be two weeks. What I find is that Doug Mack walks home the same direction as I do. 
The second day, I'm walking home, he is beating up a kid. Beating up a kid. I ran all the way home. The third day, I'm in terror. I was all-star in sixth grade. All-star. I was always the captain, or I was always the first picked. I was all that and some. Now I'm a cowering, fearful crybaby. Running home. Running home each day. This took place for two weeks until my mommy got her car to pick me up. But I would literally run home. I would make sure I focus where is he at, find where he's at, go to the opposite side of the street, and I would literally run all the way home. I didn't even look backwards. One day, after getting out right from my mom, and she's been picking me up and taking me home, I have to walk home again. It's going to be the same thing. I'm going to look for him, find out where he's at. I'm going to run past him. As I start running, there's a guy that I've met in junior high. His name's Jack, Jack Housley. Jack Housley ends up to become the number one wrestler in the state. He becomes a full ride to Arizona, University of Arizona. He's a linebacker. He, he was champion. This guy is big. And I'd start running, and I'd see him, and i stop. He goes, where are you running? I see you running. You run home all the time. And I said, because I like running. <laughs> and, he, and so I'm walking with him. And as we're walking, this is true, we're walking, the guy turns, Doug Mack turns on the first street. He actually, it's only like 400 feet and he turns, and he lives down that way. I've been running home every day because I thought the dude's walking toward my house. The confidence in my life skyrocketed to know that he turns right there. I'm alive. I made it. And I'm walking home with Jack, and I'm going, you know that Doug Mack? And he goes, yeah. And I go, does he scare you? And he goes, <laughs> no. I go, not me either. And I just walked home, and then he turned, and then I looked to make sure he wasn't around, and I walked home. But from that point of understanding and knowledge, I recognized that I didn't have to run. I just had to wait a little bit. Wait a little bit. He turned. And I'd walk home. I didn't have to run home anymore. Only because I knew. Now you might be thinking, what about school? It didn't matter. I was involved with all kinds of stuff. Started playing basketball. I, was, I took third in uh, the state in wrestling. I played Pop Warner. I was doing Little League. So I'm busy doing life. But that first day was the most freaky time of my life. Why? Because I had no, no, no experience in what was taking place. And so that experience really played heavily, heavily on me on part two. Part two is I graduate with my friends in eighth grade. And all of a sudden, they change borders for a new high school. So I'm slated to go to Maryville with all my friends. But Trevor Brown opens up, and the border changes. 
Now I'm going to a high school not knowing anyone. All my friends are going to Maryville, who I hate now. But I go to Trevor Brown, and now I'm going to another place where <laughs> there ain't one Doug Mack. There's a hundred of them. I was playing my first day. You go and sign up for football. School's not open yet. So before school opens, you're already getting patterned. You're going, to, you're going to football practice. I go into football practice the first time when there's these seniors. They got hair everywhere. These guys are men. And I'm still like, <laughs> I'm that eighth grader, you know, that just entered into this place. But something happened. I didn't have the fear that I used to have. I didn't have the lack of confidence any longer. Why? Because of that trial and tribulation I went through, I recognized some things as I was growing up in life. I recognized that you got to look first to find out where people live. But I learned that what I built up in my mind and my experience wasn't tied to truth. It was tied to emotion. It was tied to a feeling. And because of that, it brought great, I'm serious, I cried. I cried and begged my mom, put me in a different school, put me in a different, the guy never, ever threatened me. It was what I created in my mind, completely. I was an innocent kid, man. I, I, I didn't like girls. I remember going to a birthday party in sixth grade, and they did the spin the, spin the bottle. And I, I went, I got to go home. I, I'm not supposed to stay longer than this. So I went home. Spin the bottle in sixth grade. Who does that? And I noticed the girl landed on had a booger right there on her nose. I'm going that way. Even if you make me, I ain't doing that. I, I, this honest, true story. And it really hurt the girl's feeling because she thought, you know, it was all about her. But it wasn't about her or her booger. It was about me. I ain't kissing no girl. I'm not going to kiss a girl. So I... I, I left, and, you know, it was it's something I had to deal with. I got made fun of for a little bit, just from my guys, my friends, but it, it, it was over quickly. But I went into a different attitude. I also was in a different mindset in my freshman year, all because of a, a summer league coach at my elementary school. His name was Coach Yancey. And I would go in the summers, and, and my brothers would be there too, and, and we'd play football, we'd play basketball, we'd play, you know, all the board games that you have for summer. And he was hired to be the freshman coach. And so he knew, because he's, he's seen me in Pop Warner, he's seen, he knows that I'm athletic. And so he would take me out there and throw passes and, and get me ready for freshman football. So when I went to second stage, I had this confidence, even though I was surrounded around all kinds of Doug Max all over the place, just different levels of people with different levels of understanding, people driving cars that weren't your parents. They went to school and they were driving cars, you know? And so here I am as a freshman, but my whole outlook is different now, totally different. And so when we go through things in life, the tendency is, is, we tend to hold on to Doug Mack forever instead of recognizing, hey, that was a point of time where 
I was lacking courage, lacking knowledge. But having the knowledge and having the understanding behind it helped me. You know, there's a beautiful story, a bit of beautiful history lesson for us in the book of Joshua. And Joshua is a beautiful book because it literally represents the believer moving into what belongs to them through the promises of God. And when we can recognize that these promises that God makes are for us to live in and to live through, which will bring us confidence. That confidence takes us into something very special, what God calls a rest. And that rest is recognizing it ain't up to me. It ain't up to, it ain't up to my abilities. It's resting and knowing that God is God. And when he promises and what he places in my life, this is what he wants to do. And so I can rest in knowing that this is about what he wants for me and what he is desiring to see for my life. That's why when I talk about, you know, families and, and, and your lifestyle and things like that, you can have the greatest and you should have the greatest. But it all should be on a foundation of Jesus. Because if it isn't on a foundation of Jesus, you're training your old way. You're training from your past. And I guarantee you, there isn't anybody in here who say, my upbringing was perfect. You can look at it and go, scary. A lot of bad things. Well, if you don't consciously understand your responsibility to not live subconsciously in these areas, you're going to screw a lot of people over. And we, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to control our lives. That's why the Bible says, take every thought captive. What controls emotion? Thoughts. Take every thought captive. What does that literally say? Take every emotion captive. You're in control. How do I get rid of anger? Quit thinking angry. We don't want to hear it that easy. We don't want to see that. Why am I so fearful? Why am I so worried? It's very simple. What are you thinking about? And then the process of thinking all of a sudden becomes, well, I can't stop. That's the deception. That's the lie. That is a pure lie that you've conned yourself in believing. Everybody in here can stop and start every single thought. You are in control. It is not just happening. It's not just processing. It's just not, oh, gosh, here it comes. I'm going to be thinking about this for the next hour. No, you're not. You're choosing to. But because you don't understand the power you have to control, you let it go, and you let it continue, and you let it to fester, and you let it to, to, to like the word says, ruminate. You chew it over and over and over and over. That emotion is going to connect to what you're doing. If it's filled with sadness, if it's filled with worry, if it's filled with fear, if it's filled with anger, if it's filled with anxiety, if it's filled with happiness, it's because of what you're thinking. It's totally what you're thinking. So you have to do what? Do what the scripture says. Be in control. This is your life we're talking about. Let's be in control of life. Amen? Be in control. You choose this day. You make the choice. What are you going to choose today? What are, you going to, what are you going to do for this day to become awesome? 
Are we going to just let it happen? Or are we going to make it happen? Because it's what you want. It's, it's what we truly want. We want peace. We want freedom. We want happiness. We want joy. We all want this. And then we've got life that we have to deal with and the issues of life, and they come upon us, and you can experience it, and you can feel it. But the truth is, if you've got a foundation of knowledge, information, you're not going to crumble. You're not going to fall. You're going to be able to get through high school, even though you've got all kinds of Doug Macs all around you. You're like going, it's okay. I can handle this now. I'll make new friends bigger than those ones. And life becomes a lot easier. But if you lose confidence, you throw off this information, you're going to lose your reward. You're going to lose what God wants to do for you. Remember, this is what I want every believer to understand. God said it's the goodness of him that leads people to repent, which literally means it's the goodness of God that leads people to turn their life around. It's the goodness of God. It's not the anger of God. It's not the threatening of God. It's the goodness of God. And how is that shown? Through us. God is so good. So, so good. And we need to allow that, amen? We need to allow that goodness to continue in our lives. So when we look at this and we recognize our responsibility through the process of life, I had a border change in the junior high. I had a second border change to high school, and I'm, I'm making it through life. There were difficulties. There were issues, different challenges. But the point is, is I understand that as the information comes, that knowledge builds in me, I have the ability to have victory because I'm standing in that understanding. I have purpose. I have a place. I don't look at my identity tied to a label, pastor. I look at my identity tied to I'm a follower of Jesus. That's always been my identity. Not title. Never has been title. But my life and my journey has been different than a lot of different people. People, most people love to search for titles. I didn't need one. I didn't want one. I started this thing telling God it ain't going to happen. Not going to do this. I'll, I'll work with youth. I'll work with college age. I'll do that and I'll do it free forever. But I ain't going to be a pastor and you can't make me. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, that ain't going to win out. But that was my heart. I wasn't afraid. I wasn't scared to. I, I, I ministered to adults all the time. As a youth pastor, they'd want me in, in men's conferences and things like that. I had no problem with that. I just didn't want to be that. I didn't want to be a pastor. Plus, I've seen how they were treated by people. Youth pastors, everybody, all, everybody loves the youth pastor. But the pastor, it's like Moses. Let's attack him. Let's kill him. He delivered us from Egypt. Let's get a new leader. We hate him. I mean, serious. So I saw that and I thought, I don't want none of that. I don't want anything to do with that. But my heart has always been, what do you want me to do, God? I'll do whatever you want. So he's going to win out just because my heart attitude is, is I'm going to do whatever you want. I might not like it at first, but I'm going to do whatever you want. I remember when he told me, you got to quit working. I'm pastoring and working. And he told me, you got to, I go, I don't want to quit working. I need to. Look at the ties. You know I need to work. 
<laughs> this is when I first started, you know. It, it's sort of ridiculous because this church was started by miracles, completely. It wasn't started by everything's handed to me or I split a church and took a bunch of losers with me. No, it started with nothing. I got a building with no church that churches tried to get. Some of you have heard the story, but the church we came from was an unfinished commercial building by AMPM. Well, it used to be, and it's not there no more. But it, it wasn't finished, and churches that had people with bank accounts, the owner would not lease it to churches. And one day God drove me past that building. I was driving a lot in North Phoenix then, looking for a building. And I said, God, you, you told me to be a pastor. Will you start showing me? Maybe it's in Scottsdale. I mean, where's this building at? Listen, I ain't coming to this neighborhood. I grew up in this stinking neighborhood. I'm this beautiful neighborhood. Coming here? I'm not even going to look around here. That's not God's will. That's satanic. And finally, I said, God, you, listen, you told me, you said, then you, I don't see nothing. I don't see nothing, no availability, nothing's happening. And I just sat there, threw a fit on Bell Road, and it was like about, what was on? There was nothing out there. Why was I driving out there? There was nothing out there. I'm just asking myself that question. That's a little ridiculous. There's no buildings out there where I was at. Well, anyway, I just sat there in my car. He said, are you ready to listen? I felt real stupid on that question. I said, okay. So he said, start driving south. Started driving south. I ended up on 83rd Avenue, continued to drive south. Gloria. Northern. Bethany home. Get behind me, Satan. This can't be God. All of a sudden, there ain't nothing here. Nothing around here. These are all fields. And he says right there, that little tiny building out there, 83rd and Calvary, that little tiny thing, God goes, that's where you're starting your church. I'm looking, Camelback, 83rd. I grew up just a few miles over there. Oh, my gosh. Uh, just the whole Massive amount of emotions was going through me. And so I called the number to lease. I called. And I said, yeah, I'm interested in the building here. He goes, okay. I don't know what to do. I don't even know what you're supposed to say. He's like dealing with, you know, different commercial, you know, brokers and realties and, and even real churches. And I'm going, um, I'm interested in leasing. He goes, okay, well, you know what? I'm only like 20 minutes out. I'll come over. So I co he comes in. He goes, okay, what, what, what are you going to use it for? And I went, well, I'm a pastor. And um, I got a church. Oh, uh, what? I, I'm a, I, I want to put a church in here. And he goes, <laughs> he's not accepting churches. And I went, yes, yes. 
No, inside I did, but outside I didn't. I went, he, he, no, he goes, no, um, he goes, what size is your church? I went, including me? It was like seven. Seven, he goes, just to let you know that he's already turned down churches that have a few hundred members. And he goes, can you even afford this? And I go, well, I can't. I go, let me just tell you what I need. I need you to call the owner. I need you to let him know that I have to see him for this building because the Lord told me I'm supposed to put a church here. And he goes, I'm going to call him, but I'm going to tell you right now, he's already denied two churches. He doesn't want to sell the churches. He goes, but I'm going to call him. And so he goes around the corner talking to him. I'm like going, man. And all of a sudden he comes back like he saw a ghost. Serious. Guy just like, he goes, the owner said, are you available to come by tomorrow and talk with him? And I went, yeah. He goes, okay, he'll be here at 11 o'clock tomorrow, and he'll talk with you. I go, what does that mean? He goes, that's what he told me to tell you. So I meet him the next day. I was there at 9, sat there for two hours, waiting. I didn't know what was going to happen. And he comes up. We introduce each other. And I said, listen, I get it. I understand and I went all out. You know, when you just like, you have nothing to lose. I don't really have a church. I'm going to start a church. I don't have a bank account. We don't have any money. No, I'm serious. I just went just straight out. I go, all I know is this. The Lord told me that I'm supposed to build a church here. And he goes, I believe you. I went, what? He goes, I believe you. He goes, I just came back from a men's conference. Promise keepers in California. His life has been totally transformed. He is no longer the old Larry. He is a new Larry. And his life in that position, that call went into that life of, I am a child of God and I'll serve him my whole life. And all of a sudden he gets a call about me and he says, I need to talk with him. And so now I'm talking with transformed Larry, the owner of the building that says, hey, let's do this. I believe it's God. I go, what about payment? He goes, don't worry about it. We'll work that out later. I get a church with no payment, nothing. I finish the building off with him. He's paying most of the materials. We get it passed through Glendale, and I'm having a church with no monthly payment. My monthly payment becomes, what can you afford right now? That's how I paid my monthly payment. What can you afford right now? And we started that church, and we built that church, which ultimately we built this church with the same attitude of, you can't talk to us. You don't have the ability to, as the banker said, as we're saying, yeah, but God told me to have this. God told me to build this with no tens of thousands in the bank, nothing. Love life has been built on miracles and hope.
But we don't chase the miracle, we chase the faith. Joshua's first group chased the miracles. And what did they see? Miracles. They seen the Red Sea parted. They seen water come out of a rock. They said heavenly food coming from God. Cloud in the day, a fire by night. Couldn't stand in courage with all those miracle experiences. You will not be empowered, nor will you be powerful if you're looking for a miracle to serve God. You're not going to be empowered, nor will you be powerful if you're looking for something supernatural to finally secure your walk. Ain't going to happen. It's when you believe. When you stand in faith with God's word, the miracles will come, but they don't hold me. We've seen miracles time and time again. Love life has. And it's because we don't chase them. We believe, but we don't chase them. I believe that it's our responsibility to start being courageous in our walk. Miracles will follow the ministry of faith in God's word in your families, in your marriages, in your workplace. They're going to come but we don't need to chase them. They will happen. Why? Because we made a decision not to back away, but to make a stance. We made a decision that this isn't a weekly run. This is a lifetime run. And I'm going to continue on. If more people out there in this world would hear the true message, it can and will bring hope. But if they hear a religious one, it's not relevant, people. It's not relevant to life. So you're going to hit and miss all the time. But when it comes down to making a major impact, you become salt. and You become light. And the only way you can do that is not be religious, but be someone that has a relationship. And you're in this to win. You're in it to win in your home. You're in it to win in your marriages, your relationships, in your children. You're in it to win. And like I said before, it ain't about stuff. God will get that stuff. It doesn't matter to him. What matters to him is this. As long as this is straight, and you can argue with them, and you can get scared, and you can throw fits, but the truth of the matter is, as long as this is cool, as long as this is right, you'll keep moving forward in the kingdom of God and to experience all that he has for not only everyone in here, but everyone out there. It's your choice. Whom are you going to serve? Blessing and cursing, life or death. In other words, Jesus or not Jesus? I'm choosing Jesus. And as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's not a, if you are or not, it's what I choose. And I'd like you to have that same attitude as love life. Because I'm telling you right now, this thing, believe it or not, is a miracle. And I'm just not talking about us being able to get land or build a building. I'm talking about every single step of this thing is a miracle. And guess what? It's continuing on. We're just seeing a scratch of the surface of what God's about to do for an end time generation. And that's who you are. You were picked to be a part of this thing, which is amazing when you start looking at it because 
This demands courageous followers of Jesus. And I believe I got a whole bunch of them in here. And I believe I got a whole bunch of you out there. But there are some, you're still behind the line. Maybe even in here. And you haven't crossed over into that eternal life. I'd like to give you that opportunity right now. If you would like to receive Jesus, I want you to say this prayer. I want you to speak these words out of your mouth. If you haven't done it here, say it with me. Out there, say it with me. Say this. Jesus, I believe in you. And I call on your name. Come into my life, Jesus. I believe in you. And I accept you as my Lord and Savior. That's it. You don't have to go any deeper than that. You call the name of Jesus, you will be saved. If you pray that prayer in here, you lift your hands. I have a book up for you to help you. If you prayed that prayer out there, press that button. And if you want, write me, give me your address, nothing but your address. You don't even have to put anything on there but your address. I'll send you that booklet to help you because I believe in you and I believe in you and I believe in you and I believe in you. We are going to stand and we've done all to stand. Stand for the cause of Christ. Love you guys. Be blessed in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening. To hear more encouraging messages just like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you loved what you received, please consider rating it and sharing it with your friends and family. For more information about Love Life and getting connected with us, go to lovelife.church. We love you and are believing God's best for you.